balance blueprinted and bore gauges on this episode of Let's Talk Dubs. On today's podcast, I've got Steph Rossi, owner of Ace Performance Engines out of Torrance, California. Steph is an English lad who's moved here to the States about a year ago to start building engines and live out his California dream, building VW engines and also LS motors in Southern California. Steph's attention to detail has been putting him on the map lately. A detail that he puts into the precise building of these motors has really helped him build a reputation in Southern California to where we've heard of him and you should hear of him. So to follow along in this podcast, Go to letstalkdubs.com, go to the blog page, and you can follow along with pictures and links for more information. Also, if you've got an iPhone, click down on the details, and there'll be a link in the description of this podcast to the pictures and the blog page that we're discussing. But before this podcast, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Tired of the same old stuff for your VW? Check out Ross Wolf. They have a variety of accessories for your VW. Gas tank clamps, fender washer kits, IDA jet covers, distributor clamps, velocity stacks, and body to pan kits, all constructed of T6 6061 aluminum, anodized in a variety of colors. One of the coolest pieces that I personally like is their locking dipstick. Jason and Jared started this company to fill the void in the VW parts industry where customers receive the service they deserve. Where did the name Ross Wolf come from? Well, check out rosswolf.com to read about a man whose commitment to performance was only matched by his dedication to quality parts. To check out more, go to rosswolf.com and check back often for an always expanding catalog. That's rosswolf.com. R-O-S-S-W-U-L-F.com. Rosswolf.com. So support those that support Let's Talk Dubs podcast. And if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, send me a message at bill at letstalkdubs.com so we can help you sponsor the best VW podcast worldwide. Without any further ado, let's get into this week's podcast with Steph Rossi from Ace Performance Engines. On today's podcast, I've got Steph Rossi with Ace Performance Engines out of Southern California, but he, he's he got a funny accent like he's from Texas, and you guys will get to know all this as we get deeper in the podcast. Steph, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. How's it going? Good. To let our audience know, my buddies and a lot of people shoot me content of what I should get on and who I should interview and things to that extent. And some people give me some information about your Instagram. And so I went on there, just started checking some things out. And what I recognized when I got on there is that not only you do VW motors, you do LS motors, but you do a lot of clean work. And so I, I wanted to get you on the podcast to get this, to get some of your history down. And, and the way that we always start the podcast, as you know, because you've listened to a few episodes is what is your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens? So my dad had a huge part in that. I used to moan about going to shows when I was a little kid. And then obviously you, you grow up more, you start to love it. And because growing up, I always loved American cars, you know, muscle cars and stuff like that. And then from the age of probably 11 around then, well, even before then, I went to shows with my dad. But from the age of about 11, I guess I could start remembering them, hanging around, having the barbecues at shows, the VW shows. Um, and I'd always bug him to go to American car shows, but um, we'd go to those as well. But um, I guess the VWs just took over, and um, me and my uh, dad, when we were about, um, when I was about uh, 14, 15, we were going to buy two Camaros. I think there was two 
they're like 1970 Camaros for sale in England for like seven grand for two, which in England, that's a, that's a deal. Um, but we couldn't get insured insurance for me on them. So, um, my dad had a 75 bug in the, um, in the garage that he was, you know, your dad's project. He's had it in the garage for ages working on it. And, um, I, uh, you know, I didn't want to go down the Ricer route. You know, I love the V8 sound. I liked VWs. Um, I, I read Ultra VW uh, that had just come out. Uh, I had you know loads of copies of Volkswagen magazine. Um, hung around with all of them forever. So, so I said, you know, um, how about I have your Beetle instead? And we built that. And it, straight away, didn't even hesitate. He was like, I would love you to have the Beetle. And I thought, you know, that's the next closest thing I can get to the V8 sound is, is that bug. So um, when I was 14, we built. Um, me and my dad and, and a friend of ours built um, a 1641 in the backyard um, uh, in the back garden even I should say we were in the UK yeah. <laughs> uh, and then um, and it just spiraled out of control and I had a 2276 with IDAs um, well that car never actually got finished so that 1641 went into um, a, like my dad's best friend Bob who owns um, a, a business called Boxhouse in England he restores buses um, imports buses from California uh, does engine work, you know, everything, you know, one-stop shop, really. Um, he's like the Volkswagen guru around that area. Um, I went to work for him on, like, Saturdays and Sundays. And then once I left school um, in the UK, you finish school at 16, and then you go to college, um, which isn't your college. It's I guess it's like your high school, your mm -hmm. version of high school. Um, so from 16 to 18, I was doing computers, uh, and I hated it. So I would bum college off and go work for him like pretty much all week and eventually the teachers and my mom found out because my mom and my dad aren't together so i just live with my dad at weekends and live with my mom in the week so um eventually um, they all found out uh, and i just quit college altogether anyway um bob had a 67 bug who used to pick me up in the morning because he i couldn't drive then in england you can't drive till you're 17 um and uh he used to pick me up in this uh, singapore 1267 bug uh it was from northern ireland it had the belfast um sticker on the ashtray still uh, from the dealership where it was bought um the inside was original paint the outside was um had been painted a few times um but original savannah beige um color you know not, not any changes of color and and then it, it was like a patchwork quilt underneath a typical uk bug that had just been in england you have to have mot's every year so your car has to go for an mot not not be rusty or anything so underneath every year instead of doing the pans and heater channels they just patched it up so it was like a patchwork quilt of welding underneath and the body was welded to the front, the chassis and everything. Anyway, I bought that for like, um, I think my dad had saved a lot of money for me ever since I was little. And we bought that, I think, for like £1,300 maybe, I think, something yeah. like that, which is about $1,600, I guess. Um, and I put the 1641 in that I had sitting in the garage into that. I was about 15 when this was going on. And then, um, and then it just, I was obsessed with cow look. Um, I used to watch, um, well, read all the magazines, but there was a, a TV show that came out in the UK called um, Dream Cars, I think, or Dream Rides. Yeah. Uh, it, it was on Channel 5, and um, one, they used to, it was like a 30-minute or an hour-long show, um, and they built they built a car. It was like a UK crap version of overhauling, but like sure. they didn't steal the car or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and then they did a bug. And then they flew out to California and they went to Nick's Burger, the DKP meet and everything. And I just remember watching it thinking, wow, that would be amazing. And I think not around that time that uh, Beige 66 that was in DKP came out. It was on the uh, BRMs. Um, 
and it was obviously survived by I loved it. I was like, that's amazing. So uh, I built my car around that. Um, I had the BRMs, not original BRMs, <laughs> couldn't afford those, but I had uh, like the, the copy BRMs on it. Um, I built a 2276. Well, a friend actually built it for me because uh, I was a bit daunted by I was in like 16 by going straight from a 1641 to a 2276. So now he did me, a long but Let me ask you a question. On a 1641, did uh-huh. you just do just a short block out? So you just swapped out the pistons that were basically no, slipping? No, no. Or did you split the case and do the whole thing? We, we split the case. I put a 110 cam in it uh, with scat lifters. And um, I put just the aluminum uh, timing gear on it. I didn't put straight gears on it. And this uh, was stock crank. under your dad's supervision? Yeah, yeah, in the garden. Um, I have pictures of that. I'll probably send you over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I hated my dad taking pictures, but he took pictures of everything that I did. And um, and I'm glad he did now because it reminds me, you know, I can show people that's where it started, you know. Yeah. Um, and then we put some twin 36 uh, Weber IDFs on it. Um, what else did I get? Uh, then I started working. So then I was full-time then at, at Volk's house. So now you're working um, at Volk's house. You're working on your 66. Yeah, 67. Or your 67, but you're basing yeah. it out of the Savannah Beige 66 that you've seen in the magazine. And, uh-huh. that, and, yeah. and that's kind of your 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 goal to get it to, to that level. Yeah, and Bob used to go to California like every year. And I used to like come back and tell me all the stories. He'd always bring the bus or two back and we, we would like restore the bus or, or do work on it and he'd sell it and then he'd go again. Some of the buses he'd keep. Um, and like, it was just so cool working on all these buses, like that come from California full of parts. Like I remember we found a, a black widow in one and stuff like that. It was just amazing. I was just fascinated ever since, even before VWs and, and when I went to I think Florida with my parents about the age of 11, I went to kiss me, the old town cruise they do down there on, um, Friday night, muscle cars everywhere, Volkswagen, you know, I always wanted to live in America. Um, and my dream was to go to high school in America, you know, but my parents, they did talk about it, but then it never happened. Um, so uh, I was just, yes, anyway, so working at Walk's house, then went to work at uh, Kingfisher Customs for a day, Fisher. Now, Kingfisher, they're a pretty well-known shop in England, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're, they're well-known. They do a lot of uh, beach buggy, like uh, off-road beach buggy stuff. Sure. Um, and they do everything, really. Um, and then working there with them, you know, I was doing everything, but uh, you know, my goal was always to get in the be the engine builder. Uh, but I was only like sixteen. I think I was seventeen, maybe, maybe just yeah. I was. I had had my seventeenth birthday there. I remember the guys buying me beers, um, and then uh, I'm not sure if I had my eighteenth birthday. I can't remember. Um, and then uh, Tom Kettle was a guy that worked there, um, and he was the big um, like engine builder there. He he knew everything. He'd done um, like motorsport. Uh, I can't remember engineering or something like that sure. at the university. So mm-hmm. he, he was a switched on guy and he built all the motors and he had um, a blue 62, I think it was on the, on the, the five spoke torque wheels um, with a two, two, seven, six or 2332. I can't remember. And um, but I, was, I aspired like to be a good engine like him, you know, I, I looked up to him. I always asked him stuff. And he, at the time, I guess probably thought, ah, you know, this kid, whatever, he's just the kid that comes and works here. Like he doesn't, but um, yeah. And then, um, we, you know, we're, we're still friends now and talk occasionally and that's good. Um, and then, uh, I guess it just, it just spiraled out of control. You know, I, I worked there and, and then, and then after. So did, did he start showing you how to build motors? Yeah. He, he showed me a little bit, but, um, Bob taught me a lot really. Um, and then, um, after that, um, 
I joined the army um, at the age of 19. Um, yeah, 19, 18, 19, something like that. And then uh, I was in the army for about five years, did Afghanistan, all that stuff. Um, but every time I was on leave, I would come back um, and work for Bob. I'd go back to Bob's because obviously I stopped working for customs. Um, I would go back to Bob's because Bob was like a friend as well. You know, he's known me since since I was born because he's my dad's best friend. So every even I come back on like two three weeks of leave, like in the summer you get three weeks leave. You know, you haven't really got much to do. I had my sixty seven. I work on that. You know, I drive that. Um, that 2276 RDA, by then I was racing around, snapping axles in the stock transmission everywhere right. I was going, you know, having wheel hop issues and stuff. You know, just learning all about it, really. Um, and then um, when I left the Army, I worked for Bob for a little bit. Uh, went to live in Canada then for uh, just 10 months in so Canada working. At- you, left the, you left the UK to move to Canada? Uh-huh, yeah, uh, a place called Saskatoon, right in the middle. I've never even heard of it. My mom, uh, after the army, I worked at uh, Bob's, and then after I, I worked at uh, a Volkswagen dealership. Uh-huh. Um, I was at the Volkswagen dealership one day. I hated it. It was like, this isn't... Uh, I got to be their engine guy. I was doing all their warranty repairs and stuff, but it was like on new polos and new golfs and stuff. It was... Uh, yeah, boring. It, it, was, it was boring. Like Changing yeah, parts. Changing, changing parts yeah, is what cha- you're doing. Cha- Changing pistons because this piston was was not was in war, our war, like an issue. It had a recall and stuff. It was it was very boring. But um, but I was doing master tech stuff uh, uh, when I wasn't a master tech. So and I wasn't getting paid master tech guys. <laughs> but yeah. Right. So um, my mom sent me a link one day to this. Uh, she was on the website called Fish for Jobs to a job in um, Canada being a, a HGV mechanic. I was like, I've never worked on trucks before. Like. Anyway, and she was like, well, you could, you know, you've always wanted to go to California. This could be your stepping stone to move to California from Canada. So I was like, all right, we could, and I played ice hockey. So since the age of 11, I've played ice hockey. Um, these, this uh, tooth here is fake. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, um, I really I love ice hockey. Uh, so I was like, wicked, I can go work on trucks. The money was good. It was like $30 an hour. Um, and I can work uh, and I can play hockey. Uh, and in the winter, I had a rink right behind my house where I could walk. I remember one night I was bored at home, and it was like a Friday night, and I went to play hockey at like one o'clock in the morning. Like, you know, and you could never do that in England. And there's people playing hockey? Yeah. So it was cool, you know, have a little shinny and stuff. It, it was wicked. Nice. Um, but obviously being there, I quickly found out that it's just as hard to move to America from Canada as it is from England. And it, it doesn't matter that you're just across the border. You can drive there. It's exactly the same deal, you know. Um so, uh, so I what was, with, so, so what was the drive? Was it just your dream to live here in the States? Is that, was that your drive yeah. to try to get here to California? I mean, what is it you're envisioning in your head when you get down here? Just like nice weather year round summertime and you know, the yeah. beach and the Southern California lifestyle, or what is it that, that drives you to want to come down here? Uh, since growing up, I used to draw, um, you, you're going to think this is sad, but I used to draw, uh, American cars, like taxis and police cars with the square headlights and stuff that you see right. in all the movies like 80s sure like, late 70s i used to be and muscle car i used to be obsessed but a lot with drawing cars like that and i, I thought america looks so cool and i just i guess the weather i hate the cold uh, so <laughs> join I, I the really, club <laughs> yeah so the weather seeing pictures of california like dkp stuff palm trees everywhere cool cow bugs everywhere um, cool American cars everywhere, you know. Um, I just liked the lifestyle, and, and being went to Florida a couple of times when I was little, and everything's just big, 
everything's like England, but like better. Yeah. You know, um, and I was just I was just fascinated with America ever since I, was, I can remember, really. And then how um, do you how do you finally make the jump from from wonderful downtown Saskatoon to get here to the, to so, the States? Uh, uh, well, I got involved with the VW um, uh, crowd there. Uh, good guys, Brad and and Todd Penn from Airport Classics. Uh, and so I ended up sacking my job off at um, custom truck sales. Um, which I was working at, building big Kenworth and Peterbilt trucks, uh-huh. and going to and going to work for um, Todd at Airport Classics, and uh, he's a big motorhead. So we did a lot of, you know, we have nights there, late nights, there, and it's freezing cold in the winter, and we, you know, drinking beer and, and got the shop, the shop door shut with the heating on, um, just chatting about motors and different specs and everything, and that, that was wicked because Todd was a big drag racer, he still does, you know, he's got Berg and stuff. He goes to the Salt Lake Flats. Um, with um, a thirty horse with a single cab, we just a thirty horsepower challenging and stuff, and that was wicked. I was always going to go with him, and I still plan to go meet him there one day. You know, he's going to come visit next year. Um, so then, you know, I left there. Um, but is that? Because, but working there is that where you start to get the? I mean, a lot of people. There's a lot of guys build engines. If somebody's a VW motor built, there's no shortage of people popping up hands in the neighborhood to help them rebuild the motor. And there's something uh-huh. different about rebuilding a motor and then going to the link. Because one of the things that you put on your Instagram page all the time is a lot of the detail that you go into, dial indicators, uh, bore gauges, like all kinds of in-depth measurements that you're taking or setups that you're doing as you're assembling an engine. And there, there's kind of a difference in, in, in a road to rebuilding engines where you are a uh, an, an assembler or a builder. And mm-hmm. where did you start getting the insight or the detail, attention to detail, as far as you know, blueprinting engines and going to the lengths that you go to during an engine build? Do you know uh, Muffler Mike Sheldon? Yes. So Mike used to post absolutely everything, uh, like picture by picture, uh, online. I can't remember. Maybe shop talk forums or the Sambra. I, I can't remember what uh-huh. it was, but. Uh, but I was like, wow, like this guy knows his shit. And I just loved how he did step by step and everything. Um, and then I, I got heavily involved with, with, with the Nova. This is a bit later, but um, with the Nova and, and being with the V8 stuff, like VWs have a big clearance window. Like the main clearance can be like eight tenths to like four, four, four thousandths, which, which is ridiculous, you know. If you ran that's a fact- V8. Now you're talking fact, like yeah, factory rebuild fact- spec. Factory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you build a V8, let's say the LS stuff I do a lot of, if you put eight tenths of a thou uh, clearance on a V8, like that thing would probably spin the main bearing like straight away. You, you know, you, right. it's a lot less forgiving. So VW, I think a lot of shops or people that, you know, because a lot of people build them at home, you know, when I was 16 or, or you know, and, and we did the two G seventy six. We didn't do main bearing clearances. Um, you put it together and you and you rotate it to make sure it's nothing's cutting the installation. Right. You know, Not binding. She's good yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah, and you, and you haven't pinched a dowel or anything. But like, you know, and they live. And I I, I look back at that. And I'm like, fucking hell. Why don't you just go buy a ball gauge and a micrometer and you know and, and do you know? But I didn't know that stuff back then. Um, but now knowing that now, I, you know, even now when I build a VW engine, um, you put the center main in 
And like on the shelf right here, I have loads of different boxes of center mains uh, because they're all different. And that center main is always up, is always too tight. So I always have to use different halves from different uh, sets of center mains to get the clearance right. So uh, what you're saying is there's so much variation in the case itself and the bearings as well. well and the, be the bearing, the, the line bore on the case is, is normally pretty good. Uh, I always check that before I put the bearings in. But, but the bearings, um, there's only one manufacturer that I know of at the moment that, that, that does a, a, a steel back uh, main bearing without trying to hunt for NOS bearings forever. Right. Because um, uh, um, miles aren't steel back. And Silverline, you know, I, their rod bearings are, I don't like. Um, and all the cam bearings, but but the um, the main bearings are good, but you just have to mess around with with, with that center main. Um, and I guess a lot a lot of places will just build them and throw them together without doing this because, and they will get away with it. But that's the difference. Like I guess so people a lot of people pop oil filters and stuff like that and have problems with doing that on on a full flow motor, and that's probably because that engine didn't have its clearance checked and it's running like maybe. A tower of clearance on like a, a two inch shaft, which is ridiculous, uh, like too tight. And then they're running, oh, just put 2050 in it, which is what everyone says in the VW world. And, and then boom, it's going to, you know, start it from cold and, and give it like more than a thousand RPM. It's going to pop a filter, you know. So do you think that, I mean, really, it's got to start in the beginning where the VW engines were designed to be like a lawnmower engine? You know what I mean? Yeah. And as yeah. people, there's there's people that cut their lawns with lawnmower engines, and there's people that drag race lawnmower engines, and, mm -hmm. and and the world between the two, you could never drag race a lawnmower engine. And then there's guys that have literally literally lawnmower dragsters, but I think maybe in the beginning with the VW scene, the, the tolerance and slop is in there because it's not a higher PM engine, it's not mm -hmm. expected to put out a lot of horsepower. And now our evolution in the VW scene is hot rodders. You know, we want to get more power out of it because of the oxymoronic disposition of making this four-cylinder motor beat up a V8. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of where it starts. So uh, it, it may just be an industry thing where people figure, hey, it's a, it's a 20 over bearing, put it in, it should work fine, tighten it up, crank doesn't bind, let's keep moving. And yeah. And and what you're sacrificing, I guess, in the in the long term, is you're sacrificing performance. You know, for, for long term I mean, high end performance. Look at VW. I mean, bearing clearance is just the one part of it. You know, there's so much other stuff. But look at VW bearings on the shelf that you can buy. They're literally standard, uh, plus ten, plus twenty. You know, you, you can't buy one tenth under or one tenth over, and then use half of that shell to get your clearance exact, like you would do on a V8. You know, and I, I mean, I, I've emailed Clevite a few times asking, you know, to do that, but I don't think the VW world is like this and the V8 world is like this, you know right. what I mean? So, like, you can get every single size and, and that's probably why they make all the sizes for those V8s. But uh, I guess what it comes down to is, is, is engine building, actual engine building, not just VW assembling. Um, you know, I put exactly the same practices into VWs as I do to my LS stuff. And like some of the stuff with, is like 2,000 horsepower. Twin turbo stuff, there's one over there that's about to get built. You know, it, it, if I just assembled that without checking clearances, you know, anything else, it, it would, my reputation would go out the window very fast. Sure, and, sure. And, and it's the same with VW stuff. Um, you, you would get away with it. 
but how long do you get away with it for? You know, and it's just not worth it. You know, well, the little, the little things that start to go wrong, you know, after 20,000 miles, things start to feel a little loose. You start losing horsepower. You start, you know, things start to to wear in and there's too much slop and you get too much movement in the crankshaft or, you know, that's where things start to grenade. And when, when you, you know, anytime you have something that's got good power, I know everybody that I know drives like a donkey. As soon as you get a little bit of power, you just keep you just keep going back to the power pool and keep wringing its neck. And over yeah, time, yeah. if it if it's yeah. not built properly, so I, I want to get into some of the uh, some of the reasons and then how how you ended up getting into uh, building the LS motors because I know you started out doing VW stuff. And let's talk a little bit about your shop. So you had mm-hmm. a shop back in England. Yeah, so I left Canada because same reason I left the army. Really, I wanted to be at home with my friends. We had a, a real big social group, and we went out a lot. Um, so I left uh, the army for that, and then like ten months later, I was in Canada. So I didn't last long in Canada until I wanted that again. So that's why I left Canada for. And I was going to get a job at um, Slamworks, um, which were a place in England. Yeah, that, suspension did, uh, place. Yeah, yeah, which which isn't suspension. No offense to any of the suspension guys, it works awesome, but suspension really bores me. It's not my subject that I'm into or anything. Um, so the morning of the interview, I was like, what am I doing? I had a little shop there. I still had my Berg with the 2276. We just put a turbo motor in it. Um, I was doing a couple of jobs for friends on their stuff, VW stuff. And I thought, well, why didn't I just open my own shop? So I canceled the interview um, last minute. You know, I felt bad for doing that, but... Um, and then I started the uh, air-cooled engineering, and it just spiraled out of control. Um, I just did motors a lot, only motors. And then we, we had a ramp. Um, I had a friend work with me for a while, um, and um, I had a ramp, and we, which is, I think you call a hoist over here. Yeah, a lift um, or hoist, sure. A lift, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he did all, the, all that work on there, and, and, and I would do just stay doing the motors on the bench, and um, that worked. Anyway, um, I took the business in the way of just building engines. And um, and how long were you doing that? Uh, in the UK for nine years. And, um, st- and still you've got this longing to try to get to Southern California. You're yeah, like, you're like <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm getting to Cali somehow one way or another. Yeah, so about four years ago I started coming over here. Um, I'd, I'd come, like, I'd buy a car, I'd cruise it around, um, I'd, I'd fly back home, um, Fill it, fill it with parts and then sell the car or, or, or fuck around with the car, depending on you know how much I was into it, um, and, and then sell it, pay for the trip, then and then come back and, and do it again. Um, and uh, that's how I got to meet a lot of people at the shops over here and stuff, and, and made a lot of friends over here bef- before moving. You know, and the plan was always to look, and then we started narrowing down the area where I wanted to be. I love the South Bay, the beach, and how how like. Everything's in the South Bay. Everyone moans about LA traffic, right? But everyone, everything here is in the South Bay that I need. So I haven't got to get on the freeway, go anywhere. The beach is like 1.8 miles that way from the shop. Like it, it's wicked. I love it around here. Um, so <laughs> it's a little bit better. Be, a little bit better than England. Oh man, the weather there sucks, <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's miserable. And, but yeah, whatever. Um, but uh, everyone just looks like them. Yeah. But um, so. Uh, so yeah, I guess we narrowed the area down, and it, and it had to be here. And then, um, I, so now, I met my, now well, build build just so to back up a little bit, building engines uh, in the UK is uh, is there as much a demand for engine building there as there is here? Yeah, I, I was very busy. Yeah, 
um, I, I think um, one year, I think I did uh, like 43 engines and, and that was for one man in one, you know. That's like an shop. engine. That's almost an engine a week. Yeah, it was stressful. And like, it's the same as here. Like there's, there's always like one, two, three, four, five. And there's like six there, you know, there's always loads on the bench at a different time, waiting for different things in different stages. It's just never ending. So when, when, like, when you're building motors, are you building that? Do you have to build multiple motors at a time because of checking and clearancing and sending stuff out to get machine to fit? It's a custom yeah. build, not just assemble the parts that show up and get it out the door. I mean, is that, yeah, is so, that, is that what takes the time? Yeah. So things can be waiting for like, um, so obviously you can do a lot of mock-up, uh, deck height and stuff. I mean, case have to be flight like machine depth from, for the deck height to get the same sometimes. Um, they're getting a lot better now. That, uh, recently I had one that was 12 thou off from side to side. You know, and we don't do any rebuilds here. It's all brand new um, builds. Um, but all the parts come from different people. Um, and a lot of the setup is you get to a certain stage, well, oh, I need those copper head shims, uh, you know, and, uh, or maybe haven't got them on the shelf. I've got quite a lot, but, you know, uh, so I have to order them. So then I jump onto something else while, while I'm waiting for that. Um, you know, and I do everything in-house. We, we, we have a couple of machines over there. Um, anything I don't do is balancing. Um, but I have a rod home machine, a mill, lay, lathe, and stuff like that. Um, so that takes time as well to do, I mean, machining, fair play to these machine shops to do it. It's very stressful because they can fuck up people's parts. Yeah. Um, but and to trust a it, machine shop, yeah, it's kind of yeah, yeah, like yeah. their their attitude when you hand them a VW head is like it's some some Volkswagen head. It's not that critical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, but honestly, like, you know. Uh, yeah, well, I'm doing stuff there. You know, it, I I get stressed doing it sometimes. Like my partner Laura, she works in the office. She comes in and talks to me like mid machine. I'm like, no, leave me alone now, because you you could really screw up like a five hundred dollar part or like a thousand dollar case if you if you're not careful. Um, so let me let, let me ask this question. In, in the yeah. process of build, let's say you're building two motors, twenty two seventy six, two of them mm-hmm. side by side. Mm-hmm. Does each motor is each motor going to vary in requiring different machining and and making all the parts? You've got all the same parts off the shelf sitting there. Uh-huh. The timeline on building those motors based on the the core parts you get could vary quite a bit depending on the quality of the casting of that head or how the piston showed up or, you know what I mean? Is, is, is there that much variance in building any, each motor as far as additional Def- work that you have to put into it? If they're different specs, definitely. But let's say we had two, 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 seven, six is exactly the same spec. Um, I've narrowed it down now to the, all the parts I use from different places that everything's pretty good. You know, um, rods, I, I have to, depending on, where they're from and from what what they hone them to. I like to have them a little bit tighter on the on the little end, so I normally have to rebush those. That's time very time consuming, um, and then hone those to size for the pin clearance. Um, obviously, building both of them together, main clearances, deck height checks. You know, once you've got that, say the cases are the same. Uh, they're going to be slightly different. I know they're all done on CNC and everything, but sometimes they are slightly different. You might have three thou on one side of one case, and the other case might have just one thou different. Um, pin heights can vary very slightly, you know. So maybe take a bit off the top of the piss, you know, because you don't want the, the barrels to sit differently. Right. Um, you know, I normally do short block, um, and then I'll set up a deck, and then if it, and if whatever I need to order shims if I haven't got them here. I'll order them and then I'll jump onto the other one, do the, do the short block, do the clearances, everything, the rod bearing clearances, you know, everything, get that done. And then by that, that by the time that's done, 
the deck will be done on the other one and I'll get that, you know, and then I'll just try and speed it up a lot. I mean, people ask me, why don't you just build one motor at a time? And like, why do you keep, like, so I'm like, what if I did that? Like, like, people will be waiting forever. You know, you have to, you have to be quality, but like, well, and, that, and that's efficient, my question. Efficient at the same time. And that's my question that I'm asking. Like, when you're building, you're building these two exact same motors. Is it a realistic variable that you could have five hours more in the exact same oh, engine? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like VW stuff is hard, man. Like people, are like oh, they're just like like flat four um, engines. They're easy to air whatever. Little bug four bolts in and out, like easy. They're a pain in the ass. Like. I would rather build 2,000 horsepower LS. Like I could do that in a week, easy. And the parts that would come would def like would be the quality would be definitely better. I wouldn't have to send rods out for rebushing and stuff like that. But you know, I've got my own honey machine now, so I do that here. But um, it's just crazy that. So you're saying that so the, small, the the biggest but, challenge in building VW parts is or build, building VW motors are the parts that are available and the acceptable tolerances. That, making that they, everything that they making put out. everything fit together yeah count so, timing always has has to be done you know and making everything work if you just throw it all together you're gonna have things like ratio aren't isn't a ratio that it actually is described as you know the bearing currencies aren't the bearing currencies that it should be um stuff like maybe the circlip doesn't fit in into the snap ring the snap ring but, groove on the crank you know little things you run into different things all the time and so but where did you get this desire to have that type of detail because it takes a special kind of individual i'm not the guy i'm not the, i'm done I, I at least I, I know thyself and i know like i'm worn out man after the second motor of having to pull things together and pull things apart and do all that kind of stuff that's not the type of thing for me and it takes a certain type of personality to be able to have that long view to where you're committed to finishing the project no matter what it takes and doing it right you know what I'm saying? I mean, there, there's a different, yeah. there's a certain temperament for that, and uh, you know, being in a fast-paced situation, it makes no, it makes sense to me why you would work on multiple engines at once because you can only seem to get so far per motor. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So, because yeah. I'm not rich, I can't have everything in stockage. You know? I mean, no, no, I'm no, absolutely. Rich, but but, yeah. but when did you when did you realize the importance of the because your first motor you built the 1641 ran just fine and that thing had sloppy clearances and all that stuff so at yeah. what point when did you when did that shift in you happen where you your focus was really like i've got to get it within a thousandth i've got to get it within these tolerances even though in the industry off the shelf they're nowhere near those tolerances so when i started the business in uk obviously I wasn't just going to throw the motor like I did together when I was like 14. Sure. You know, I started doing things properly. And one thing I don't offer now, but then I used to do a lot of rebuilds because, um, you know, I needed the business. Um, and one thing that really used to really grind me was doing rebuilds from other shops. And, and like, I don't think many people now, 2020, in the last couple of years, a lot of engine, I've done it for a long time, but a couple of other people, they put everything online, you know, post everything. But all the old school people, like the older guys that have been doing it for a while back in the UK, that like these are these big names in the UK to go for, for go to for an engine. I did a lot of rebuilds from them, from their customers that had brought them to me because stuff had happened. Mm-hmm. And I would tear into them. I'd find like different sets of lifters inside. I'd find like stock cams in 1776s 
uh, you know, and different rods even, uh, upside wow. down, like all loads of stuff like this, you know, uh, deck height's totally different on each side. Uh, and I guess that really um, got, and I did loads of them. Some, most of the big names in the UK, there's a few good guys left, definitely. But um, all the other guys, I don't think they're building engines anymore, but they were like the, the gurus, the go-to people, that people used to really blow, blow smoke up their asses, right? Right. And, and I was just like, wow. And even as a kid, when I was growing up, I heard those names. I was like, oh, yeah, I want to be like them one day. And then there was me 10 years later rebuilding engines from that person. I'm like, wow, this is like a mind flip because that's that, that that's like someone I looked up to as a kid. And now sure. I'm like, wow. you know. And, yeah. and I guess that just drove me to make, make sure that my customers never have to take my engines to someone and someone has to think that about me. You know, and um, but but where are you researching some of this detail from? In other words, what the right clearance is for something? Because all these super high performance clearances, they're not documented anywhere. The if you want a spec book for a VW, it's going to give you the factory tolerance, which, like you said, yeah. is like the, the, is like the gap of a moving truck. You know what I mean? Yeah, all that nothing, any of that stuff. None of it really comes from VWs. It's all V8 stuff. So um, is that where you get some of your references? Like you say, okay, look on an LS wrist pin, you get this kind of side load or this kind of side lash. This is what you need on a, you know, th- th- if this works for a V8, which wants to pull itself apart a little more than a flat four. Yeah. Like well, it, they're, sli- they're still slightly different, but but like I, I, I do like a foul and a half clearance on, on, a, on a, a V8 wrist pin, but on a, on a VW, I like to keep it to like eight tenths, seven tenths, you know, nice and tight. But so there's difference, but I guess that kind of comes to experience. But at the same time, it's the same um, fundamentals. There's books out there like the Sunning um, Guide to, to Engine Building and Machining. Um, that is an amazing book. Like it's like this thick. Like you know, read like every page of that stuff like that. Um, and, and what what are some of the things that you read? Well, what's like the first thing you came across where you read it and you're like, holy crap! Everyone in the industry does X. And this is now that I read this, it's like I, I equate it to like reading the Berg handbook, right? Like when you grab the Gene Berg handbook and you start reading it, you're like, well, yeah, that's the opposite of what everybody says, but it totally makes sense. You know what I mean? And yeah, and yeah, so yeah. then you start to to get into this point where you're you're reading information that the way it's explained to you, it starts to make sense. So what's one of the first things that you see on your end where everybody else in the industry is kind of like, that's ah, no big deal. If the deck heights within a few, you know, ten thousand, you're gonna be okay. Or, or what's one of these things that you see that you notice that you think like, wow, here it is that I've discovered, and not necessarily you discovered, but that you were introduced to a different philosophy on engine building from from an engine engine building. What one of the main things is uh, valve spring setup, valve spring pressures, and rocket geometry. How many VW engines have you seen? With countless shims under the rocker stand, and and, yeah. and running crap, you know people are trashing cams on braking and stuff like that. You know, I never take inner springs out uh, on a braking. You know pe- people are losing a lot of horsepower because of that, and um, people are snapping rocker arms because the you know uh, the pivot points move so far out because the geometry. I think rocker geometry was the first. I was like, wow, people, a lot of people are doing it wrong. Like. Um, yeah, because the, the, the thought process on it is like, yeah, rocker geometry is just cutting down the pushrod length. I think there's a yeah. little bit there's a little bit more to it than yeah. that, right? Pushrod push length doesn't have anything to do with geometry. Geometry <laughs> right. is, is where the rocker tip is on the on the valve on the valve stem. You know, you want to be in the middle and have the the shortest white pattern as it goes through open and closed lift as possible. But but most people think 
that you put the rocker on and and your push rod's done, right? Maybe people are buying like those chromoly push rods that aren't cut length or whatever, and they're like, oh, okay, so now I have to shim my rocker out from the head so that at half lift my push rod's in the middle. That's not geometry. Like, I even even a V8 place, uh, a place I had some heads from, mm-hmm. brand new heads from, sent me a set of heads recently. Um, I've sent them back and I won't be using that manufacturer again. Um, and the valve tip heights were different. Uh, the valves on the head, the pre-assembled head, the, va- the valve spring <laughs> line was off? The valve stem, the yeah. actual height of the step. So, because I had in-canal exhaust valves and stainless intake valves. Um, and I phoned the guy and and the guy was like, um, well, not the guy, but I phoned the, the shop and um, one one person answered, I'd, I'd never spoken to him before. And he said, yeah, just adjust your push rod length um, for the geometry. And I had to like, he really snapped me. I had to like get in a, into a, into a, a bit of a, a heated, like let like I had to lecture him on how you set geometry. Like geometry isn't push rod length, you know. <laughs> geometry is set how far the pivot point away is because how far you move it away or closer brings that white pattern down the center right. of the valve or up the depth of the valve. You know, it's and geometry. Like, it's not a. Yeah, it's not it's a rod exactly. length. There's there's so multiple like, things you're factoring in. Yeah. So when you see all these VWs and they've got loads of shims and the rocker shaft is really far out, um, you know, and it's right on the end of the rocker pad. And they're snapping rocker arms because the pivot point's so far out that their rocker arm is moving much, working much more hard than they should. Right. And yeah, it's ridiculous. And coil bind as well. People, this happens a lot in the VW world. People slagging off manufacturers of heads, the big main big manufacturer of heads, which you probably know what I'm talking about, which right. I think build real good heads and, and they're awesome. But people don't set their valve swings up for the lift of their cam or they put the wrong valve swings in. They hammer the valve guides out, and then boom! Oh, they're to blame. Their heads are shit. Their heads are blow up. But it's not. It's the people that aren't setting them up properly. And that was the main, the first main thing that I ran to. And then now, what do you mean? Goes. Now, what do you mean by that in detail specifically? Like when you're so so, you buy the average Joe set of heads, right? Just something off the shelf from the big manufacturer, and. Most people just take them, throw them in a car, and then they're done. Like they expect the head to be like, well, I don't have to worry about the head. It's already been built at the factory. But the reality is, if you're if you're actually building a custom motor, which anything that's not 100% stock and is going to rev over 4,500 RPM is going to be a custom built motor, I would assume. And yeah. when you're going to that length, I think it's important that you you. Ch- I mean, you, I, one of the things when I was first looking into, you know, building my, I built my own motor years and years ago, and it took me probably four weeks to build this nights and weekends, going to my buddy's house and putting things that, which, which was when I knew I wasn't an engine builder. Cause like put this together, <laughs> measure it up, tear it apart. I'm like, yeah, no, because Just all I, it. <laughs> yeah, I no, all I want to do is go drive. I want to yeah, flog yeah. the throttle. If it's leaking oil, I'm like, well, can I at least get one pass? You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm, I'm just fired up about getting driving, but the process of going through that, when I started reading like Gene Berg's book and he would sell uh, rocker, uh, the valve springs pre-tested, you know, and, and most people just think like, oh, here's a bundle of springs that they all should be okay. <clears throat> but, yeah. you know, he would go through the process in the book and say, listen, I take all the valve springs that I get and then I check them for spring tension and then I bundle them together so at least they all have the same spring rate. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. it's things like that that are overlooked on an engine build that could have 
long-term effect or it could have short-term disastrous effects when the expectation is a long-term build because again i think that the challenge has always been in the industry you take this motor that runs like a sewing machine and you're no longer running it like a sewing machine you're under you're you're, you're running the thing like a top fuel dragster and you're out of every parameter that was designed around and you're trying to keep the thing together and lasting and, and for it to last. And so a lot of people, even when you'd bring that up in a conversation, because this is in the you know early 90s, I'm bringing it up to my buddies like, well, you know, Gene Berg says, and they'd be like, shut up, man, enough with you and what Gene Berg says. I'm like, well, yeah. it just makes sense to me. You know, and there's certain things that just make sense. Like when you're talking rocker geometry or, um, you know, setting the heads up. So what do you mean about the heads? Like, what do you do to, you get a set of heads off the shelf. Give me an example of the process that you go through on a set of heads that most shops might just get the heads and bolt them on. Okay. So first would be definitely a valve drop. Then right out of the box. Yeah. Right out of the box. It depends if you're on some high end stuff, you know, depending on the material of the seat, you can't cut the valve or the material of the valve. You can't cut them. But yeah, most stuff that we do here, you need to do a valve job on right out of the box. Next thing, the most important thing is you need to figure out how much lift you've got, um, you know, intake exhaust, if it's split, split, you know, whatever. But you need to figure that out, and you need to figure out how much the spring can take, and you need to figure out your your valve spring height, which will then give you your closed pressure, and then that will then give you the the right open pressure that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where a lot of people that don't do it. Uh, are putting like oh wicked fk 89 cam boom throw it in use the, the standard like uh springs the dual springs that come in the heads and then they're hammering valve guides up because the spring the height isn't right and and they're hammering literally this the spring is bottoming them out before before the, the rocker is at it's uh, at the end of its lift you know so um, the the sprint the, the actual rocker is pushing the valve through the head because yeah. you've already bottomed out the spring and yeah. the and the rocker geometry is still pushing. It's still yeah, like a freight exactly. train coming through there yeah. every millisecond. Yeah, and then it's the same. It works the, the other way as well. You want to put crazy K hundred springs with an FK cam, like you just throwing away horsepower and putting loads of strain on that flat tappet cam and, and follower uh, and push rods. Then you have to. You know, um, you set that up per- perfectly. I mean, there's some of, some of the, the cams you can use. Um, you you can get just about get away with a single if you get the right single spring. And that's if you're building a lot of stuff. We do we we do here. Uh, I say we, it's just me, but um, um, I do uh, a lot of uh, a lot of bus motors like 2110, um, 2276, 2207, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, and they, they drive them everywhere. You know, customers sent me pictures of them on like the top of like mountains with like the Alps in the back and stuff, you know, and, 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 and you know, it's real cool. And you know, a 2276s, 2110s going around doing all these miles around Europe. Um, and people are like, oh, big motors are unreliable. You know, everyone thinks that. I'm like, no, they're not. They just need to be built properly and have the right part. I wouldn't give someone with a bus um, a, a 2276 with 48 IDFs or IDAs and an FK87 or FK89 cam, you know, I wouldn't and like 10 and a half to 11 and That's a half. That's not going to live. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't do that. I mean, yeah, it'd be fun, definitely. It'd be, <laughs> you know, it'd be wicked. But um, I wouldn't do that. You know, I, I would, you know, use a nice cam. It's going to keep the duration of the lift quite low. So it's not going to scream really much past five, five and a half, make good power down low. And then the other stuff we do is um, 
like we 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 skip we do a few IDA motors a year for people with bugs, but we don't do a lot of bug motors. I, I guess people with buses want to spend. I guess the bug. I don't know really, but um, we only. So you do a lot of you. You would say you do more bus motors than bug motors. Yeah, and then and then it'll be a couple of maybe IDA motors for bugs. Um, but nothing really below that, like medium stuff. And then and then it jumps to uh, like the turbo motor there that you can see behind me. Uh-huh. We do a lot of those for bugs as well. So we don't normally do. Don't normally do really do mild motors for bugs. It's uh, it's all or nothing really. The bug people, um, but buses. A lot of bus people want passing power, reliability, torque. Um, well, yeah, and my. Um, I mean, I have two buses, and of course, all my listeners hear me talk about this all the time. <laughs> but my buses, both of my buses, have Type Fours in them. I run yeah. a twenty two seventy Type Four in one bus, and then twenty six twenty six fifty in the other one. Twenty six fifteen in the other one and and the reason I always went and it was funny because my introduction into the type 4 world was when I started building a bus and I I can't remember the guy's last name Ron was his name and he was building a panel on 16 inch fuchs fully polished and we taught we were talking at the classic and you know you just stand there next to a guy and you're bench dreaming about next year my car is going to be here and you yeah, guys are having yeah, these yeah. conversations and he turned me on to the type 4 and he just gave me this, this simple philosophy he said the philosophy with the Type 4 is you're building a motor, a two, you can build a 2.2 liter with 90% German parts mm-hmm. and 10% aftermarket parts, and you're going to have the bottom end torque and the power that you need. And then, you know, when he said that to me, I thought, a part of me was like the cheap side of me thinking like, oh, yeah, man, I could just find a motor and have it built. And then I just went down the rabbit hole of going to Jake Raby's site, and then I had him build a 2270 for me. But in, in, in hindsight, my bus my bus is probably logged, I would say, minimum 30,000 miles on my bus in the past 18 Great. years I've owned it. And I'm, I've driven it, you know, here to California several times. And, and when I tell you that I'm not a maintenance guy, <laughs> I think – I've adjusted the valves on it absolutely never. My brother has <laughs> my, my brother has a shop here in town and he's like, let's adjust your valves. And so the only time the valves have been adjusted on that thing is probably when my brother has done it. But 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 going back to, you know, the bus guys, you know, when you're driving those big bricks and you want to lower them and you want them to, to run good, you know, the big two point two liters are where it's at to get that bottom end grunt. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I'm looking forward to getting my my split window on the road, which is over at Buddy Hale shop. That one's got a 2650 Type Four in it with 48s on it and a Berg five speed. So that's nice. like it's like driving around, especially in a bug, like a Type Four in a bug. To me, is like driving driving a bug with a V8 in the back. You know, it's got mm-hmm. it's got loads of torque. It's got not a lot of top end. You're not you're not banging it to seven grand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah. So, so talking about that, do you build type fours? Have you built type fours? And what are the pros and cons in your position on type fours? Just from your your experience. Yeah, I built quite a lot of type fours. Yeah, um, uh, I had a Porsche nine one two. Yeah, I saw you sent me pictures. It was gangster. Uh, yeah, yeah. The patina, Irish green patina one. That uh, people have copied the wrap on it, and there's other Porsches driving around now with that same wrap on it. Uh, that was on the front cover of Hayburner and. The, I built a big, a big CC Type Four for that, and now that has a smaller Type Four motor now. In it's gone to France for the guy. Um, yeah, I built a few fuel injection twenty two seventies. Um, they're awesome. I don't like building them because, well, they're all right. But <laughs> no, but I mean, to, let's talk real. Know, what is it about know, the Type Four? Yeah, you need to know what you're doing. I, the pushrod design sucks. 
um, the push rod tube design succeeding. Um, but you can use, there's some good aftermarket push rod tubes now, and you need to know that you need to put sealer on the O-rings, otherwise they will leak. Um, right. But they're wicked, yeah, they're, you know, 71 more stroke crank, um, good rod, rod ratio from factory. You get 1.5 rocker ratio as well from factory, and you can have hydraulic roller. A big thing I've always wanted to do is, not sorry, roller, hydraulic flat tap it. Um, a big thing I wanted to do a long time is have a hydraulic flat tap it cam in a type one. Um, a performance in a performance set, you know, because a lot of people don't want to set valves and a lot of people hate setting well, valves. I mean, even I hate setting valves. If, if, if you'll listen to the podcast that I did with um, Mo Foco in uh-huh, Milwaukee, yeah. Yeah. they still make hydraulic cam and lifter sets. They're hand built that they do uh-huh. over there. And he and I had a long conversation about hydraulic lifters and the, the process it takes, which is why. You know, and you can listen to that podcast and get into that, but that may be an opportunity for you to get a, a cam and lifter set from him and see how it works out. Because like I, I was said, looking at yeah, looking at their stuff about a month ago, thinking, mm, yeah, I could do that. Yeah. So well, I've just got a '61 Mango uh, bus in the original paint, so I'm gonna build a motor for that, obviously. And I think maybe I'll, I'll speak to to Mafoko about that about doing the hydraulic roller for that. But you know that the, I want he and I be testing my own stuff first. No, no, absolutely. And and he and I spoke about the about the hydraulic lifters because I think that's that's one of the drawbacks of you know it's funny some of the VWs you'll get into them and you just you're constantly adjusting valves and some of them you're not and usually that, that I would think that may be probably a geometry issue that you're having there a rocker arm geometry if your valves are constantly going out of adjustment yeah. or there's something else going on there but it's a, a lot of cam timing as well a lot, no one does well, I'm not saying no one. Of course, there's people out there um, that do cam time in there. There is some good VW engine builders out there. Um, but the majority of people don't do cam time. And out of the box, normally the cam shafts isn't like 108, 109. So explain, when you're talking about cam timing, break it down for the for the listener. Like, what, what effect does being able to adjust the cam timing do? Okay, so you can advance or retard your, like, the easiest way to say it is like your power band. Mm-hmm. So the cam will have a lobe separation and that can't be changed, but it has an intake center line. And now if that cam is is 108 uh, lobe set, an uh, intake center line lobe set, uh, straight up it should be 108, 108. But if you have a cam that's like 113 or 114 and the intake center line is, is like, 109 or, or, or 110 or whatever that's advanced so there's you, you there's some advance built in the cam but you have to time the cam to the intake center line to do that now so all the VWs, well not all the VWs, most of the VWs stuff is like 108 or 109 um normally when i put them in if you put them in straight up they're always like 114 so you normally have to advance them four or five degrees um literally every single one that i do um and so that brings the power band where it should be if you retard it, you're going to have a power band higher up, more like you want like a, a racing setup kind of thing. Right, your power band um, doesn't come on to like 3,500 RPM. Yeah, yeah, it can be a bit drive, you know. Um, and then, um, so that plays a, a big part in it. And, um, and it'll, it'll either positively or negatively affect the drivability of the motor. Yeah, and if it's a race car, you know, it's just you don't really you're going to sell it still, but you're not going to be worried about low end drivability because you're only just you're just trying you're to in, get through the power. You're band. probably three and a half four grand launch and, and, and up in the higher RPMs anyway. Um, 
So that makes a big difference. And so back touching on type fours real quick. So you have built type fours, you have experience building type fours is the challenge in building them consistently. Like you personally don't like the push rod setups. Not, it's not an easy setup to work with. And there, is there a limited availability of aftermarket parts? Is that one of the challenges? Like there's good parts available now, which last one I did, I actually liked the push rod tubes. Uh, I think I got push rod tubes from CSP uh, and then there would be the lights. Um, and they didn't leak. Uh, but uh, a lot of people stay away from them because the parts are so expensive. Um, the pistons, uh, browser pistons, kits, and the crankshaft. If you want to put sure crankshaft in the, in the Type 4, they can get for like over $1,000. So a lot of people don't want to. Um, they want to stay away from that. And then obviously you have to cut the uh, case for the Porsche fan stuff, which is no problem. But um, they're a lot more uh, niche, I'd say. Than type yeah, but yeah. but you're from you're from across the pond and so i always looked at it as like the the dudes in europe is the statement i always used you know like you guys are like yeah. oh the guys in california i'm like dude the guys in europe they all run type fours like all yeah. them dudes run and i see a lot of the i see a lot of the kafer style bugs things like mm-hmm. that in in germany especially a lot of those guys using type fours in german look, why it's, a, it's, a, it's big no no i know I, in german I, look but i mean I think I think it's because you can build like a, a 2.7 Type 4 and stuff like that. And, and they are, anyone that knows about Type 4s, they are awesome engines. And you can build a lot of power and have a lot of torque with not a lot of strain and, you know, on the motor. Um, and I think a lot more people in, in Europe um, like to engineer what's available maybe mm-hmm. than, than just buy aftermarket case, aftermarket everything, you know. And that's why I think a lot of them work with a Type 4. Um, well, I mean, I did loads of Type 4s back in the UK, but here I haven't been asked once about a Type 4 build. Um, so, so on the Type 4s, uh, you would do in England or, or just bus rebuild Type 4s? Uh, I did a few stroke Type 4s um, and then and then a lot of 2056 um, uh, bus and, motors. And let me ask you this. On the bus motors, what's the number one reason you see the re- the need for rebuilding? Just gone its lifespan? They, they just high, don't tune high, them or – they're high mileage and um, the cam always goes flat. On the Type um, 4s? Yeah, on the hydraulic roller. And there's always like um, stripes. used to call them zebra cams because there's like stripes everywhere. Um, but they're still running and they just start running hot. And the heads, the heads, um, a lot of people, I think this is one thing I just reminded. Uh, a lot of people hate the head design. The way that the um, there's two different, you can have a shim in there. Um, like a seating gasket or there's one without a seating gasket that has mm-hmm. a step and a lot of people don't like i think they get afraid of that and the exhaust the square port with the o-ring or the over port with the, with the copper o-ring a lot of people get afraid of that and if you don't know what you're doing with a type 4 you can build a type 4 and and easily have a, a cylinder blowing out of the head or, or, or an exhaust leak so i think that's maybe why a lot of people stay away from them but um if you know what you're doing you, you know what to do with them maybe like the if it's needed, like the cylinder into the into the into the head, um, then they're fine. Um, yeah, I'm gonna have to look up your 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 912 that you had that uh, Type Four in, because I yeah. think it, was it an upright motor with a 911 style shroud? Yeah, it had a 911 shroud with. Um, it had RDAs. That was a bigger motor. I can't remember the size of it. Um, uh, 23 something. Did but, it, and then uh, and now it's got a 2056 in uh, with 44s. Did, did it push? Push pretty good. Did it? Did it move? I never. I never drove it, honestly. What? The car, when, yeah, when when that car was done, um, 
so I got the car from a guy in Tennessee on a pallet. Um, it was just a shell with the windows, uh, and it had rear trading arms, no front suspension, no transmission. Oh, no, it did have a transmission, sorry. Um, uh, nothing else, no interior, no steering column or anything. Um, so it was a long project, and it, it cost me a lot of money to, to literally buy every single part for that car. Oh, but when Hayburner hey, hey wanted to do the feature on it, um, it just come back from the um, – no, had it? Yeah, it just came back from the, the metal shop. It had the floors. Yeah, it wasn't finished. It had the floors done, but the uh, the rockers, this, which we call seals in England, they weren't finished. So, um, so it wasn't a finished car at all um, back then. But uh, and then that's only just been finished recently and gone to uh, France just before I left uh, the UK. So. And now, talk to me about how. Uh, yeah, and we'll post up some pictures on the on the blog about this nine twelve because it was legit. Plus the bus. Now you also had a bus that you that you had a a nine eleven motor in, mm-hmm. and so yeah. building a nine eleven engine, it's completely different than a than a Type One than a Beetle motor. Was there any fear in in building it, or is your attitude towards engines like, hey, they're just engines? They they've got tolerances and specifications, and and there might be a few idiosyncrasies, but they're all pretty much the same. Is that is that kind of your disposition on it, to where you just crack open a a, a nine eleven motor and build it? Yeah, the only thing about nine eleven, I always I always put uh, cam timing up real high on the spectrum. Like I always get, I do it, but I always get like a think about it too much because I haven't done many 911 motors so I always kind of get afraid of it I do it no problem but uh, I always not worry but I always think about it the, before I do the, it the biggest That's difference the is the overhead cam design is the, yeah. is, is the yeah. biggest difference now now you had a bus with what size was the 911 motor in your bus your 3.2 six, so it was a 3. Point, so it was a Carrera 3.2 motor yeah out of a 86 which is like Porsche's bulletproof flat yeah. that's like of all the flat sixes that's the it one had, to get uh the bosch motronic efi on it as well which was awesome um and it had uh, like 230 horsepower um that was good that was fun i put the 905 901 five speed box in it really um yeah it was original paint mouse grade bus 64 um basically i i used to because now i don't but uh, in the uk i used to fit engines as well for all the customers so, you know, I used to be able to drive them, break them in properly, be able to break the rings in properly. Uh, and um, and anything else they need, done it, I guess. Uh, but uh, so I used to drive them. There was a, a petrol station just at the road. I used to always drive to get petrol in the, in these buses or, mm-hmm. or bugs or whatever. And people would always say, hey, is that a Porsche engine in there? Like that, because it was always like 2006, 2007 or whatever. You know, um, and they all sound nice. So people would always say that, like, like let's say five trips to the petrol station, I'll probably get two to three guys that ask me while I was there, is that a Porsche engine? Because in the UK, there's uh, there was a chef called Jamie Oliver mm-hmm. that, did, that had a Porsche. Do you know about his? Uh, yeah, he had the Samuel? he had a yeah. cooking channel where he drove around in his uh, yeah twenty one yeah. window. So everyone knows about buses and Porsche engines, and, and it's like the myth down the pub. Oh, my mate had a my mate's mate, my mate's brother, my mate's blah blah <laughs> distant friend had a, a, a bus with a Porsche engine. You know, just four bolts, they go right in. So it's kind of like a, it's funny. Um, so I was like, you know what? I got my bus from Canada. It was stock, everything, totally stock, stock motor, everything. I was like, I'm going to put a port. I got a good deal on a 3.2. I was like, I'm going to put that in it. I had a transmission anyway. So uh, so I, I, I did it. It was awesome. And then people would ask me, hey, is that Porsche? And I'm like, 
actually, this one is. <laughs> <laughs> but then I had to kind of explain that it's not it's not a common thing though. You don't get it a lot. <laughs> and how and and how how fast was that bus? I mean, with the five speed. Oh, it was wicked. We uh, on the way back from Vauxhall show, three of us are. And we took a 2442cc engine, which we had on display there with RDAs and Porsche fans stuff. Uh, on the way back on the motorway, uh, we uh, my friend Holly had um, another Porsche bus, uh, Westphalia. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, 78 maybe. It was a late Westphalia anyway, same motor. So me and him are racing split versus bay window, both five-speed, both uh, Porsche-powered. That was awesome, like cutting lanes, undercutting people, overtaking people, right. like driving how you shouldn't drive really. And there's a lot, we've got a lot of videos. If you scroll down further enough on Instagram, there's videos of it. And um, I might put them on YouTube if I'm not going to get arrested for speeding on the motorway. Right. <laughs> um, so, but uh, anyway, after that, we, we kind of uh, head off. Sorry, Holly, you know my bus was faster, but we kind of uh, we left and um, we clocked, like, I think it was 122 mile an hour um, in fifth gear, uh, like, bus steering, like, steering boxes, right. fuck, like, 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 <laughs> Sketchy. And, we're, and we're like, what? None of us had seatbelts on. We're like, what? <laughs> like, uh, I had like a, an A1 uh, race bullet on the back of it, so it sounded like a Formula One. It sounded amazing, um, and uh, and it still had more to go. I, I bottled it because we started going around a slow corner and the steering, and I was like, it like crashed. Yeah. There's two like, other people with us, and you're okay, like, just, you don't yeah. want to go end over end in a toaster. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but that that was I drove that everywhere. I daily drove that for about a year. Um, had heating on a switch. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. It was wicked. Yeah, yeah. A little squirrel friend that used to. Just turn on the and then off. somebody just had to have it. They were like, "All right, uh, offer no, you. Um, no." I, I wanted to sell the bus, um, uh, so I got a '66 Nova that I, I race. Um, now you uh, bought that so, car in England? Uh, no, from from a guy in Canada uh, and imported it to the UK. Okay. Um, so I went to put the money into that. So I sold the bus, but no one would buy it with the Porsche power. Are you kidding? Which I, I was like, "What the? F-? Like, I thought this is going to fly out like that." Um, and no one minded it. It had black torque thrust, Woolwood brakes on it. it. You know, it looked high. Yellow headlight lenses. It looked. It was a hard book. Had the engine lid on it as well, so you couldn't see the motor. And um, just some holes behind the license plate. Um, but no one would buy it. So um, I saw, I took the engine and uh, gearbox out and oh, I sold it to a guy who I sold another Nolan two two, and he was building that. Um, and then uh, a guy from a, a local club bought the bus as a roller off me. Uh, and now it's got like a 1600 twin port in it. And every time I see a picture of it, I'm like, Yawn. That, used to be, that used to be the Porsche bus, man. And now it's got 1600 <laughs> in it and a, and a VW box. But yeah, so, so, um, so let's get a little bit into how you jump into the world of V8. So you go from building Volkswagen motors in, in, in the UK, being known for building, I mean, filling a basic demand. How do you make the leap into V8s? So my personal cars i've always had fast bugs like i had my the beige one we fully restored it in the end and turbo i raced that a lot um drove it everywhere drove it around europe twice after that I had the yellow bug which i raced uh yukon yellow 67 the, the nitrous motor and then the turbo motor but um also on the so i always had VWs, always day drove vws to the shop and stuff but on the side i also had v8s as well i started getting after about three or four years in business I was finally to be able to afford my first American car, and which I was I couldn't wait. Uh, I brought a '67 Chevelle, which was a project. Yeah. And then um, I watched the movie. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Hit and Run, uh, with uh, Dax Shepard. And in that, he drives a '66 Lincoln 
Yeah. Four door, four door with suicide doors. It's got a, um, it's got a 429. I think it's got a NAS, like yeah. a NASCAR spec motor in it. A, a big motor, yeah. And, and um, so, and then in it, there's a scene where someone comes up to him at like a gas station and he's like, hey, is this got nitrous or whatever? He's like, this has got cubic inches, nitrous is for fags or something like that. And I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> so I went and impulse brought a 66 uh, Lincoln. And that was the, I had the 66 Chevrolet, the 67 Chevrolet already, but it was a guy's house in Virginia. And that wasn't ready to ship yet. So um, that was the first American car I imported. Um, got it running, drove it. But um, it had a bit of rust that I didn't really know about when I bought it. So I uh, sold that. But anyway, just spiraled out of control. Just started buying different, you know, Chevelles. I've always been into Chevelles big time. So I had 70 Chevelle, uh, Nova, and then. Um, well, when did you built, when did you build your first V8? Uh, oh, man. Um, I mean, were you a youngster? Like when you were doing VW motors, you just built a V8 no, also? No, 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 I wish. Um, I had a small buff that I stripped back then, but never ended up rebuilding because I didn't have much money. Um, no, I guess that would have been for the 67 Chevelle that finally came. And that car was going to be what the Nova is now. Um, had like tube chassis kit for it, all the parts for it, a small block with turbo, twin turbos, plenum, everything for that. Then I'd always had doubts. I'd love 67 Chevelle, 66. You know, I think I've got one there on the ramp now. Um, but um, I'd always wanted to build a box Chevy, um, a, a Chevy 2, the shoe a 66. Box, yeah, yeah, yeah shoe, shoe box Chevy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, I put all this money and time into the Chevelle, but really in my in my brain, I want to do the the '66 Nova instead. So, um, whatever, I just forgot about it for a bit, and then one day I was just looking on racing junk, and this uh, this this uh, it's a bad website. One. That's like a sa- yeah. the the Samba for VW drag for for drag yeah, race guys for for V8. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Yeah, um, and uh, I saw this Nova, and I was like, wow. Um, so uh, I. Sp- Finally got, I couldn't get in contact with the guy. He didn't answer my emails for about a month. And then um, the uh, I was impatient. So uh, I think, yeah, was it about a month? Anyway, I couldn't get in contact with him. So anyway, it had a sticker on the on the roll cage um, uh, of the track. So I Googled this track and, uh, <laughs> and phoned them. I said, hey, do you know this? So hold on. You, you, you couldn't get a hold of the owner. You see a tech sticker, an inspection tech sticker on the roll yeah. cage, and you yeah. call the track, and you're like, who's yeah. the dude that owns this car? Yeah, I was like, it's in Ontario, Canada, and I've been there, like played hockey there when I was in the Army. I'm like, it's not a big place. Like, they're going to know him shortly. So I phoned up, and they're like, yeah, yeah, that, that's Wayne and Laura. They got the, the troop chassis Nova. I was like, yeah, I really want to buy the car. Can you give me the number, please? He's like, all right, let me call him. Um, I know him. So he called him, phoned him back, when yeah, here's his number. So I phoned him. And I was like, straight away, I said, I don't even care about sending me pictures. I want to buy the car it's straight away. And um, he did send me loads of pictures, but uh, yeah, the deal was done. I paid asking price for it. Um, so I sold the Chevelle and everything that I bought for the Chevelle and um, and did the Nova. And, and you shipped that, that car to the UK? Shipped to the UK, yeah. Um, small lot, uh, car, methanol. Did you ever um, drive it on the street just to drive it on the street? <laughs> Yeah, loads. Yeah. Um, uh, so it came, with, came well, with on me, methanol. Uh, yeah, on methanol. I used to carry a spare, like uh, a <laughs> big VP racing uh, fuel can with me everywhere on the passenger seat. So it, it came with a fiberglass front end, Lexum windows. It's a, a bracket car. It was the guy in Chicago before the guy I had it off. Um, apparently, won like twenty-five grand with the car racing in Chicago. Um, so it was a real consistent bracket car. Um, really, on methanol, small block. Yeah. Um, so I got that. Uh, street car it 
straight away put headlights in it. Um, <laughs> You're like, this dude's back. going on the street. Like, yeah, how unique is that to see that on the road in, in, in England? Oh, man, people, I remember driving past this dude at a uh, uh, bus stop and he was like, like, what like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> that, was, that was just hilarious. And I was just cruising to work. I, I drove it home the night before. So it was like my morning commute to work. Um, but, uh, and then, um, we, I had to move a few bars in the chassis cause Wayne was, was a lot taller than me and it had a carbon fiber just seat. And I was like, I'm not going to drive that on the street. And it sat real low. So I put two Kirky seats in it. Um, so I could have passenger and, um, just started messing around with it, street driving and then, uh, got it ready and, um, and, and raced it. Um, I said, as soon as I get it in the eights, um, I, I drive it to the track, uh, race it, um, and drive it back from the track. As soon as I do that, I can claim it's an eight-second street car, more like a race car driven the street, I guess. Right. It still had the fiberglass front end um, and the Lexan windows, so it got hot in there, couldn't open the windows. Um, then that was done. I, I would uh, then rebuild the car and um, do the twin turbo um, uh, thing that I uh, twin turbo LS thing that I dreamed of doing to the '67 Chevelle. So that's where we're at now with the car. Um, we raced it for a bit, got it in the eights, fun, drove it there, drove it back. Um, and now, um, now it's got uh, steel front fenders on it. It's got glass windshield and rear window. Oh, um, so you started putting a steel front end back on that car? Yeah. So it's got real bumper on it now and stuff. It's got a real grill. So it looks like a '66 Nova now. When I bought it, it was a '66 Nova, but the but the um, front end was fiberglass. It was all painted grill sticker, you know, painted headlights, and it had uh, it was a '67 grill, so it, it looked wrong. Uh, well. Everyone just thought it was 67. Right. Uh, but, it, but it actually is a true SS118 chassis number, uh, 66 Nova. Um, so now I've put all the SS stuff back on it, and, and it's, it's majority steel apart from the hood. Um, and it's hopefully going to have around 2,500 horsepower. So, and it'll still be a streetcar. So 2,500 horsepower, and that's mostly due to the turbos. And then what kind of uh, fuel is it run? Is it running methanol? Uh I, I love methanol. Uh, it was on methanol, but I'm either going to go back to M1 uh, methanol or, or I'm going to run the 85. So um, I'm just building the Chevelle at the moment, which um, I put a lot into, which um, I, I could have finished them over with it, but I just really wanted to have fun with the four-door and run 850s with it and mess around with it for a bit. Um, you think you'll get that four-door You'll get that four door in the eight, in 850s? Yeah, 850s in, in the quarter mile. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a twin turbo for that that I'm building at the moment. There's the box right here, actually. So it's good. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a sleeper, or what? Yeah, it's patina, original paint, four door, full interior, um, dog dish hubcaps on stock type steel wheels, um, Wilwood brakes, four nine inch rear end. Yeah, it's a twin turbo. Um, got a car from Arizona for like six hundred and fifty bucks. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's sitting on some dude's field for eight, well, desert for eight. So you're so so you're you I mean you're you're just a hardcore like you're big into racing like going fast like you just yeah. love like that's drag racing yeah for you that's um, the payoff that's the payoff for building these these motors and 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 for you to be able to build that stuff for other people that that brings you some excitement oh definitely yeah I love I always say to people you know send me a picture of your motor and when you've got it in the car or video or whatever you know I love it it it, it gives me like especially being back from the UK like going back to all those motors that you have to rebuild for people that have already paid to have it done once. I really get like a sense of enjoyment seeing people that have spent like seven, six, whatever, eight, 
like ten thousand dollars on a motor from me, and they put it in the bus, and they and they they love it, you know. And they see them driving, and I see them posting pictures on their Instagram, on their Facebook. I really like that, um, you know. And, and they didn't get ripped off by another engine builder. Um, yeah, I love it. And that's that's kind of thing. So so the motor behind you that we're looking at for those that that are not looking at the video, of this is uh, it, it's a it looks like an EFI turbocharged motor. Is that a is yeah. that is that a crank fire motor too? Yeah, so that's crank trigger. Um, it has a cam sensor as well, um, so it's all fully sequential um, injection and ignition. Um, and what's that? Runs, what's that motor going to run on? E eighty five or pump gas? That's going to run on uh, E eighty five and pump gas. So it'll have a flex fuel sensor, uh, and then it'll it'll work out the content. Um, but now let's so let's talk about that because that, that's maybe a subject we've never touched on in the podcast between E eighty five and regular pump gas. E eighty five's got a higher octane, but you need substantially more fuel, correct? Yeah, you need like if you had like a one twenty main jet in your car, you'd need probably like a two fifty main jet to run the E eighty five. Um not most stuff we do is fuel injection, so I'm not hundred percent sure on that. But yeah, you need a huge jet or a huge injector um to be able to handle the power that the amount of E85 and M1 methanol is even even more. Um, so it's it's like so E85 is like almost doing a, a street legal methanol type thing because it's just yeah. is especially it, here because you can get it on the pumps. Um, so it's wicked. Um, there it'll probably be in England because that one's going that exact one is going to there's one over there that's going to, uh, to Orange County mm-hmm. that probably if he wants to chase numbers will. We'll probably run the 85 and pump gas, but that will probably run uh, methanol and pump gas, which then it will be you're, you're making your own E60, E70, or whatever. So, so let me ask. So let me ask a question on that. Where you said it's got a, it's so in that EFI setup, it's got a sensor that senses the different fuel and then changes it changes the spray length of time or the amount of pressure to get yeah, so, more fuel or what, what has it do that? So it will work out the content of the, of the ethanol and it will either inject more or, or less. And then pull more timing or not pull more timing because with the 85 and methanol, you can run a lot more compression and a lot more timing. So this twin turbo motor that I'm building for the Chevelle, we're aiming for about 13 to 1500 uh, flywheel horsepower um, to get it in the eights. Uh, and day driver as well, drive it everywhere. Uh, that's going to have uh, E85 um, and 11 and a half to one compression ratio. Now, most people probably think, what the fuck, 11 and a half to one compression ratio? In a turbo motor, that's crazy. But but like modern technology, EFI and E85 lets you do that. Um, it's it's more forgiving, and you make way more power on it. Um, but you wow. just have to know how to tune it. So so and what so weird. so what type of fuel management setup is on that on that motor behind you? That one's uh, FuelTech EFI uh, FT450 from Brazil. Um, I either use Holly EFI or FuelTech. Um, FuelTech's more if you want to um, race. Uh, and get really into it mm-hmm. and then i also use uh the cb gen 4 efi stuff so like uh this motor right here mm-hmm. and that one next to it uh they're both na bus motors one's a, this one's a 2276 the other one's a 2110 and they're both running cb performance the gen 4 efi which i really like um the closely works really well it's a good system um so yeah. let me ask this question so uh, on the buses that you're building right now are these motors behind you like a guy that says, look, I want a bus. I want it reliable. I want it bulletproof. You tell me what to build. And that's what you're deciding. Or these are all customer. You just happen to have two customers that both want NA EFI crank fire ignition Volkswagens. So 
they both literally said they want big CC uh, uh, and power, torque and reliability. That's everything. Every bus guy always those three things they want. And they always say, I don't want a race engine. Um, because I think a lot of people just think that big motors are only FK89 crap, RDA stuff. Do you know what I mean? Not crap, but you know what I mean? Sure, stuff like sure. that. Um, which they're not. You know, the they're bus motors, I wouldn't race that at all. Well, you could race it and you could have fun, but it's not something that it's built for that, you know. Um, it's got the right parts in it that you could do that, and all appearances and def- definitely. But like, I don't. I put like the um, the Clevite aluminium bearing in that. I don't put the Clevite um, like that one, the turbo motor over there. That's got the Clevite H series bearing in it, which is a coated racing bearing. Um, so that's the difference. You know, both are really good bearings, but both have different uses. You know, I wouldn't put the aluminium bearing in a turbo motor that's going to pound the rods. You know, right. Um, so. Um, that's, I just wanted to make sure people think they could race it if they wanted to. Um, so they both say, you know, they want reliability, um, torque, and good power. Um, and then they go into, um, like, you can use a thing called an IAC valve, um, which is an idle air control, control. valve. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, it tricks the engine into, like, an air, air leak, basically. So, It'll so you know when you start... Out. Yeah, so well, when, you, when you start your new car... Uh, that you start, you have to pump the gas pedal. Do you? you just start it, and it and it idles quite high for a little bit. That's because it's got an ISC valve, you know, and then it lowers down automatically. So, so that's what those two will be like. They should be. And this guy, San Francisco, so he uh, that was carbs. We we spec'd forty fours for that originally, mm-hmm. um, and then after talking more, he asked me about fuel injection because of all the road trips he's going to be doing. Um, I said that you should you should definitely go fuel injection um, because the map sensor will know when you're real high up or real low down and it will adjust the fuel. Whereas where you go real high up in the mountains in, in your car, motor, you might start popping pop backfiring, you know, if it's not getting the fare. Um, so that's why we went fuel injection for that one. Uh, this guy um, just wanted fuel injection, I guess, because <laughs> all, the, all the benefits you get from it. And, and the RIC motor is a real good thing you can have um, to be able to control the idling. I really like it. And so if somebody asks you, someone says, you know, Steph, I want, build me a bus motor, open checkbook, build it how you want. How are you building it? Uh, it would be a 2276 with FK7 cam or equivalent. Um, compression? Compression based on the duration, depending on which camera went, about nine, between eight and a half to nine probably. Um, heads uh, I would do uh, depending on cam uh, and well let's say let's say it's an FK7 I'd do like a 40 mil intake a 35.5 exhaust um, and then we do uh, obviously stroke of brow piston and sit in the kit um, we do type 1 cooling or, or, or um, Porsche type cooling from, from Bergman um, what else uh yeah, deep sump, full float oil, definitely. Um, either a set of uh, Webers, uh, like 44s, or um, we would go fuel injection. I mean, um, do you prefer, if you have a choice between carbs or fuel injection, you go on fuel injection without a, without a question? I like fuel injection, yeah, because the tunability of it, you can run more timing. And, and, and that, yeah, do yes. you dyno tune your motors? I have a stand, uh, an engine stand, but um, at the moment, so I bench break in the cam. Um, I do a little bit of. Um, uh, piston ring braking as much as I can by getting them hot, uh, uh, side loading them. But anyway, I can't, um, 
breaking the rings here because I don't have a dyno, can't load at the moment. So I always go through my customers and tell them exactly what they need to do in the first like 20 or so miles to break in the rings mm -hmm. when they drive it. Um, the plan is to get rid of the lift that's um, there and um, we're going to build a dyno room there and uh, we've been speaking to Superflow uh, about their 902 uh, dyno and we're going to have one of those because we need to be able to dyno tune V8 and the flat forster um, which which is it sucks for me because dyno is like 75 grand um, but yeah. it's going to be worth it so maybe in a year or two's time you know as soon as it happens we'll have a dyno room there and we'll be able to dyno tune every single engine VW or V8 give horsepower and fully break in the rings as well as the camshaft now um, talk about um in respect to building motors, which is easier to build, an LS motor or a V8 or a VW? Oh, LS, easy, definitely. It's you can you can build like there's one right here. It took me like two days to put the shawl block together. Um, obviously, there's balancing and other stuff that gets done first, and um, that's including piston ring gaps and everything. You know, um, that short block done, cam in, cam timing, um, and then it's a you know oil pump uh, or a sump pump. Um, so set up the heads, the springs, push rod length, rocker, uh, lifter preload, um, heads on, valve covers on, it's done. No, there's no tinware, no no messing around with, with alternator or, or you know, cooling fan or anything, you know, and that's, that's it. You, could, you know, you can build one of them solidly in a week where a VW motor normally takes me about uh, two and a half to three weeks, with including breaking it in and everything. Nice. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it, it's kind of a it, it's a it's a far apart world, but in the same respect, I guess engine building is engine building. What, what's the most unique engine you've ever built? Unique. Yeah, the the most oddball motor you've built. Um, oddball. Um, I wouldn't say they're really oddball, but just more like crazy. I guess. Uh, sure. I mean, they're all the same, though, really, to me, because they're all they're all turbo EFI motors, bus motors, or, or, or high horsepower LS motors. So, um, I did a lot of cool vintage speed stuff and twenty five horsepower stuff. Um, I really like doing those. They're wicked with a supercharger or with twin carbs. Yeah, they're I saw, cool. I saw you doing a, a an Ocrasa style motor that mm -hmm. you were doing. How do you like? How do you like uh, tuning? Like. Is there just as much work that has to go into those Ocrasa kits as there is with anything else you buy aftermarket for VW? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a, when was that? That was like end of 2018, I think I mm -hmm. did that. But yeah, you definitely have to set valve springs up, everything, do the valve job. You know, so, but they're good kits that you, they get you where you need to be. Kind of. And did you get dyno numbers on that Ocrasa motor? Um, no, I'm not sure the guy ever took it to the dyno. Yeah. I'll have to chase it with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, that it, it's interesting. I I had a in my fifty five oval, I had uh, an Ocrasa set up in there and went from a single a single worn out supercharger to an Ocrasa, and it made the car drivable. I'm not a big, yeah. I'm I'm not a slow horsepower guy like a twenty five or thirty six. I can't stand it. But uh, you know, when when I put the Ocrasa kit on there, or when my brother put the Ocrasa kit on there, I should say, it uh, it it was actually drivable, and I could go on the freeway at like. 70 miles an hour so i was pretty excited pretty excited Wait. to do that yeah so so now you're here in southern california how long have you been here and how's your experience been coming into the market uh we moved here april 1st 2019 so just about 14 months ago mm -hmm. 
people like it, yeah. Uh, a few people have given me the cold shoulder that, uh, uh, that I used to speak to before I came here, but whatever. If they want to be like, that's fine. Um, and uh, a lot of people have been very welcoming. A lot of the DKP guys have been very welcoming to me. Um, really, really grateful for that. Um, which as a kid growing up, idolizing DKP is like, wow, like, like I can't believe. So, so that's cool. Like, um, met Gary Berg and, and, and that was amazing. And Gary said to me, um, it's only to meet, it was only to meet the legend that's Stefan Rossi. And I was like, sure, I'm not the damn legend here. <laughs> that, that's you, <laughs> like, you know? Uh, so that was crazy for him to say that. Um, but yeah, you know, we've been welcomed pretty well. I think we had a stand at Octo, um, in Long Beach, uh, back in February. Yeah, I, I, I saw, I saw you there. Now, now it's coming back together. I saw you there, and I talked to you for ah. just for just a second over there. But you were busy because, I mean, you had a you had a booth <laughs> and everything. Excuse me, and, and everything set up over there. But yeah, you had a pretty cool display set up over there with. Uh, I think you had a couple motors on display, didn't you? Yeah, so I had the IDA motor that I just built for a guy in the UK, and that had the Gary Berg IDAs on it that he built, which were, they were amazing. That was cool. Um, had a bus long block, I think, and then uh, a load of parts on, on, on display. No, that's uh, well, that's cool, man. And, and you know, unfortunately, you know, you're only here 14 months, so for the past, uh, for the kickoff of this year's show season has been pretty crap you know what i mean not a lot yeah, of yeah not yeah, a lot we of cool stuff going to uh, to a pride and all that stuff and yeah it just right well, <laughs> well you know we're planning on there's a big drag race here uh in on october 18th in las vegas and we're planning a big pre-event on the 15th 16th and 17th before that event making it a huge weekend here in vegas so uh you know hopefully we'll get to see you out here for that and yeah, definitely. Uh, you know i've seen that yeah, you, you might drag a car out here to run or something. You never know. But uh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, if I can bring the Chevelle, yeah, I, don't, I haven't got anything VW that I race anymore. Right. Uh, I've been putting all my money into the V8 stuff right on the racing side of things. But yeah, um, I'll bring my bus though. Definitely, I'll cruise my bus over. Might, might have a new motor in it by then, so that'll be cool. What? What? So, what motor you run in your bus? Well, I only just got the bus uh, February, so it's it's gone for metal work now. It's uh, original paint mango. So it's going to my friend Joe's house. He's doing all the metal work at his place. Um, and then when it gets back, I will probably build a 2276 IDA motor for it, but um, with uh, crank trigger ignition and maybe hydraulic roller. We'll see. Um, but it'll be a 2276 IDA bus motor to drive everywhere, not a 2276 IDA. It'll have short manifolds and stuff. Um, just to show people that a big motor can be driven every day with IDAs. Yeah, listen. I know. I, I know. I know the feeling. <laughs> that's what. Yeah. That's what I got on my two six in the bus. But the only. The only. Th- so the only thing that I see about my IDAs, it's a little jerky. It's a little uh-huh. bit jerky, just because the IDAs. Now I don't think my. I mean, and and my IDAs were just kind of, uh, just kind of put together real quick. I don't think they've got the third hole progression, and I don't know what, what big of a difference that makes in streetability okay. on the carbs. But yeah, uh, it definitely helps. Yeah, that, I had fifty uh, ones with uh, third hole progression done by uh, JC uh, back in the UK on my sixty-seven Yukon Yellow Vert that had um, eleven and a half to one compression with super flows, and I drove that everywhere. We had a vertigate shifter, which was badass. Uh, and yes, everyone listening thinks you can't downshift a vertigate shifter on the street. You can downshift a vertigate shif- shifter on the street, and you can daily drive a vertigate shifter. They are awesome shifters to shift with. Really, uh, we kept the we kept the back seat as well, which is cool. Um, the, the rods went under the back seat. Um, uh, anyway, uh, 
and uh, I, I had that 11, 11.3. I had 11.8, but it detonated, so I went down to 11.3 to one compression. And I could grind shift that car with the IDAs everywhere. There was no stutter. It, I could drive it as slow as a 30-horsepower stopper it, and, and, and shift early if I wanted it. Yeah, it was, that was wicked. Nice. Um, and I have had IDAs with FK89 without a third progression hole, and that, that was no fun. Yeah, the the but, Yukon Yellow looked familiar. It looked a lot like... Uh... Who's the who's the Richie Webb? Richie, so, so, it looked so like Richard Webb's car. Yeah, it's not Richie. Yeah, so a lot of people ask me, "Are you the dude?" I'm like, "No, no, I'm not the dude that's done drag week." I mean, the goal for me is drag week, but with with my black Nova, uh, not a Volkswagen. Um, what? But uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, just, just I, I love both. You know, I got to wait. So um, maybe I'll do it in a Volkswagen one day. But the Nova's nearly there, so it'll be the Nova. But or maybe the Chevrolet. We'll see. Anyway, um, mine. Was like an original paint uh, patina Yukon Yellow, and Rich's is like the turbo uh, shiny Yukon Yellow car that he brings over here and races. And, and yeah. Joe. Um, yeah, that's an awesome car. So yeah, so people don't get mixed up. That's not well, that's what I thought. Car. I thought well, may- maybe he sold that car to Richie Webb. I don't know. You no, know, no Richie's had that for years. No, my I kind of felt bad when I got it because I loved it. It was 67, 67s. I'm really big on 67s, and it was the same color. I thought, oh, damn, because when I do the same things to it, I had it slammed on Fuchs for nineteen fifteen. And then after a while, I was like, no, nah, I need to, need to go back to my roots and build another 2276. I had a vacuum pump on it that I used to turn off on the street and I used to turn it on on the strip. Um, so it was like an all-out NA motor and then really? I put nitrous on it. So, yeah. Uh, but that was like a patina car with a cage and stuff. So you see a patina. And now that car actually got crashed by an old colleague of mine, um, the front end, which um, kind of ruined the car for me. So the car got restored um, and painted and now... A guy in the UK has got it with a turbo motor and um, and a shiny paint job on it. So. Well, I, l- listen, you know, I, I think it's been it's it's been great having you on the podcast. Are, is there anything that you wanted to uh, anything you want to discuss that we didn't touch bases on yet? As far as some of your philosophies with engine building and some of the reasons, because I think we've given a lot of a lot of reasons as to not reasons, but an explanation as to how you do what you do, what goes mm-hmm. into an engine built when they're when they're buying it from your operation and what to expect to get out of it. You know what I mean? As far as the, the time, the care and, and, and that, I mean, what, what's your timeline right now to build a motor? We try to stick to about 90 days turnaround time. Uh, at the moment I've got a couple of motors here that are about four or five months in, but one of them's a big turbo motor with fuel tech and stuff. So that's why that one's still here. We're waiting for the harness for that one and the one over there. And I used to make the harnesses in house fuel tech, but it takes me about a week. I'm not an electrician uh, or an automotive electrician. So, uh, but FuelTech just started making them now. So, uh, terminated harnesses. So they're on the way. But um, we try and um, stick. We're trying to stick to about 90 days because, I mean, we're always booked up. There's like 13 or 14 in now, and it's just me. So, in the UK, we're at like seven, eight, nine months lead time. But here, I found that a lot of people don't want to wait. Um, normally, the people that come to me, they come to me because they want. They've seen everything I do, and they want their engine built properly and you know, not just assembled, and they want to see everything as it goes together, not just give them something, hey, here you go. Yes, it's got these parts in it, but they it could have anything in, you know, like, you know, whatever. You know, I like to show them everything, the proof of, of the pudding, I guess. Um, so it's kind of hard to keep people happy lead time-wise and still, like, nothing's going to leave here until I'm, like, a, like 250, like, well, percent happy with it, you know. Nothing leaves it, and if it, like I'm doing an earth at the moment for a guy that really wants it, and and you know 
the main clearance wasn't right, so I had to send a block out for line boring. He's not happy with that, but like I'm not going to send it out. We're not you know it has to be 100. percent So yeah, you know if people come to us for an engine, they're gonna I'm going to try and stick to 90 days as much as possible. But at the end of the day, it has to be built properly. You know you're not going to be waiting a year definitely, but you, you might have to wait four or five months maybe. Right. It depends how busy we are. So. Well, that's rad, man. And so, and your and your Instagram for people to get a hold of you is at uh, Ace Ace Performance Engines. Ace Performance Engines, and you've got a website which is Ace Performance Engines as well. Uh, Ace Engines dot com, and we have a, a, an ad on the Samba as well. I guess if you search engines or Ace Performance Engines on the Samba, you can see there's a few pictures of builds in there and stuff as well. But um, yeah, anyone interested, just just call me. I, I never let anyone. Call. If so, I had a few people. You should go on our website and order an engine. You can spec it up on there. I always um, cancel the order and phone them and, and, and speak to about speak to them exactly what they want, what they need, what they're going to do with the bus uh, or, or the bug or whatever, um, and, you know, and go through it properly. And, and lately, you've been getting a lot of bus guys reaching out to you for engines. Yeah, ever since it started, it's always been a lot of bus guys, and which is good, I guess. But, no, absolutely, man. Why? Well, like I said, I, I I got you on here because I see you're doing big things, man. Uh, w- welcome to the states. I'm glad you're part Thank of the you. VW scene out here, and uh, you know for sure if you guys are, are looking for a good motor to be built and a guy who cares about what he does and wants to and wants to proudly have his name on your motor, uh, Steph's just, is just not trying to take your money, right? You're trying to no, you're trying no to build way. a legacy, you know, one motor no, at a time. And uh, and uh, what's the word? Um, Teach at the same time, you know, um, show people, you know, what, what's going into their motor and stuff as well so they can see everything. Yeah, because as we talked a little bit off the phone earlier, you told me your your biggest thing is you want people to understand that you can have a big motor that lives every day on the street if it's built properly. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, very cool, man. Well, you know, Steph, I appreciate having you on here, man. And uh, I look forward to seeing you do big things and looking forward to shaking your hand and, and, and getting to say hey to you in person when I come down yeah, there definitely. for one of the shows coming up. Yeah, definitely, Bill. Thanks a lot for having us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no. this opportunity. Absolutely, man. I'm sure you've learned a lot, and I'm, and I'm certain we'll have you back on sometime soon. Cool. Definitely. Thank you, man. All right, brother. If you like this podcast, and I'm sure you did, make sure you tell a friend. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel for video content that we have out. To support the podcast, go to letstalkdubs.com and feel free to buy a shirt. If you've got suggestions for people you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast or topics and questions, feel free to email me at bill at letstalkdubs.com. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. we got plenty more coming up for you. And until next week, guys, later. station wagon.